one of my favorite hobbies is sim racing. Um, I race NASCAR races online on a platform called iRacing, and and I race against other people from all over the world. And we follow the real-world NASCAR schedule on uh, simulated tracks that have been like laser scanned for accuracy. We keep track of, of points, and I race the same guys and a couple of gals week in and week out. And so over the years, I've made friends from Poland, from Germany, a police detective from California. And in recent years, I've raced a lot with a guy uh, from Fort Myers, Florida. He just recently moved to Georgia. And if you pay attention to current events, then you probably have a good idea why he just moved. He disappeared from our races for about three weeks. And then he shows up last week with an incredible story. His house was just off of the coast, down the street from his parents, and they both lost their homes in the hurricane. And during our practice session, he was saying how good it was to be back, but uh, he had to take a break because he, he moved and he had to get a new computer and a new SIM rig and, and everything. He told us that he barely escaped with only the clothes on his back. The roof of his house caved in and he barely got out because he had no warning. Now, one of our racing buddies says, I'm calling BS on that All right, bologna sandwich. He says, you had three days warning. Don't tell us you didn't have a chance to get out. Nothing like friends with the gift of encouragement, right? Well, he wasn't offended and he explained how his family, it always stayed put through hurricanes ever since he was a kid because there was a time when they had evacuated for a storm and, and looters had cleaned them out. So even though evacuation orders came, even though the, the storm track showed them to be like directly in the path of the storm, he stayed put to save all of his stuff. And while the, the danger was still two days out to sea, uh, the most important thing in his life were all of his possessions. But when the storm was on top of his house and, and his roof was caving in, what do you think became his most important priority? Right? It wasn't his computer. It wasn't his sim racing rig. It wasn't his jumbo widescreen monitor, not his furniture or his clothes. It was his life and his family. And in a matter of seconds, all that other stuff became meaningless. He abandoned it all because life suddenly had had a very effective way of, of rearranging his priorities. Well, we come to a passage this week in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 19 uh, through 24 or verse 21, rather, where Jesus challenges us to look at life with a proper perspective on our priorities. What will matter most to you at the end of your life? Right? Now, when you're 20 years old, life seems to be really long. But by the time you reach 50, maybe 60, 
you realize just how short life is. And when the short span of this life is over and you're standing at the threshold of forever, where will you wish that you had invested your time, your energy, your effort? These verses in the Sermon on the Mount are essential for keeping a, a proper perspective on our money and possessions. And here's what Jesus has to say. Again, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me put it this way. We all store up treasure. Where we store it, that's the issue. Now, Jesus talks more about money and wealth and possessions than he does any other subject. Right? More than salvation, more than prayer, more than love, Jesus talks about how we handle our stuff. Why would he do this? It's not because he was some first century version of a, of a TV health and wealth preacher. Jesus says this because so much of our lives is spent in exchange for it. We spend 80% of our waking hours earning, spending, and thinking about money, whether we're dreaming about it or probably more likely worrying about it, balancing our checkbook, finding out, figuring out how to pay our bills. And how you spend 80% of your life, right, that says a lot about you. And how you handle your money and your possessions is the greatest indicator, the most accurate indicator of your ambitions, your desires, your fears, your goals. How you handle your stuff, it shows where your heart is. It's a thermometer for your spiritual health. Now, there are three things that you can do with your life. You can waste it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. And what we choose to do with our money and possessions more than anything else shows where we waste, spend, or invest our lives. So in verse 19, Jesus tells us, don't store up earthly treasures. Here's what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, what does he mean by laying up treasure? In the original Greek, Jesus uses the same word twice in a row. And it's not like a typo when I use the same word twice in a row. And the word that Jesus uses here twice is thesaros. We get our word thesaurus from this word. Now, thesaurus means storehouse. Now, a thesaurus is a storehouse of words, but Jesus is talking about the storehouse of our treasures. Think of a, of a bank, a safety deposit box, a secured vault. Right? Where do you store your treasures? What are the things, uh, where are the things that are most important to you? And what Jesus is saying here is, don't store all your treasures here. But remember 
Jesus uses the word twice, the soros, the soros. It literally says, do not treasure treasures on earth. It means don't keep hoarding earthly things. Don't just pile up stuff that you can't take with you. Right? The object of life isn't to have a bigger, nicer pile of stuff than anyone else. Right? The one who dies with the most stuff still dies. Last week, we traveled to Kansas City and we went to an exhibit uh, on King Tut. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. Not 30 bucks well spent. But even if you, like the ancient Egyptians, built a massive tomb that lasted thousands of years, right? you still die. You still can't take it with you. All of that gold and treasure that was buried with King Tut that was supposed to follow him into the afterlife, it's all in museums now. It's useless to him. Now, Jesus isn't against money. Right? And he's not against possessions. He's against the, the treasuring of money and possessions in our heart. I believe that God has, has gifted and blessed certain people to, to earn and manage and even build wealth so that then they can do great things with that wealth. Paul doesn't say in Timothy that money is the root of all evil. That, that verse gets misquoted a lot. What Paul says is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Right? So, so treasuring money and possessions in your heart, that leads to all sorts of evil. And it's the love of money that Jesus is talking about here. So earning wealth, saving wealth, investing wealth, building wealth, sharing wealth, giving wealth, using wealth constructively. Those are all good things. It's when we treasure that wealth in our hearts, that's the problem. So where do you treasure your treasures? Now, let's talk about why treasuring wealth and possessions will always fail. And there are two main reasons that Jesus gives us to, to not store up our treasures on earth. Two reasons why earthly treasures will always fail you. The first reason is that earthly treasures are temporary. Right? Stuff will not last. Jesus tells us not to store our treasures where moth and rust destroy. Have you ever opened a, a box of old family keepsakes grandma's wedding dress, some old baby clothes, right? and they're all filled with holes? Or you dig in your closet to get out your favorite winter cardigan, and it's ruined? Something as small and insignificant as moth larvae can reduce our treasures to tatters. And the word that Jesus uses for rust is, is an interesting word. It, it literally is the word for eating, because that's what rust does. It eats your stuff. And it isn't just rust that eats our stuff, right? You've got rust and wear and tear, deterioration, mileage, weather, sun, cold. It all eats at your stuff. And no matter how much we spend on quality, no matter how well we build it, no matter how much we protect it, it will not 
last. Earlier this year, I was going through the guns in my gun safe, and, and I've got a rifle that I built about 10 years ago. It's a really nice piece. I'm kind of proud of it, uh, but I've got no longer got a place to shoot. And so I haven't got these guns out in a while, and even though I properly cleaned it and stored it, there was rust all along the barrel, and, and I was like horrified. Like, how did this happen? Earthly treasure is temporary. It doesn't last. And, and Jesus says there's a second problem with, with storing up earthly treasures. It's insecure. Right? Thieves break in and steal, he says. Now, we might have gated communities, security systems, floodlights, deadbolt locks, antivirus and encryption, motion sensors, monitor alarms, doorbell cameras, and the list goes on and on. But guess what? Your stuff still is not secure. Six months ago, our, our daughter Allison, her car was stolen. And the scary part is they took her keys first, right? So first her keys go missing, and then a couple of days later, her car is taken. And you talk about feeling insecure. Right? She's wondering, was this somebody I knew? Right? Did they take my keys and then they knew where I lived? They knew where my car was parked? Or did the keys somehow fall from her backpack and, and, and they picked them up and then they followed her? And by following her, they found out where she lived and could figure out where her car was. And they also had the keys to her apartment. And so she's thinking, well, if they know where I live, will they break into my apartment? Talk about insecurity. Well, last week her car shows up abandoned, right? And it's been ridden hard, all right? It looks like someone lived in it for six months while driving off-road in the Dakar Rally. There is nothing that you have that you could not lose tomorrow, right? Any of it, all of it could be gone in a moment, right? Fire, flood, hurricane, tornado, thieves, whatever it might be. That's the failure of earthly treasures. And do you really want to spend the whole of your life acquiring things that could be gone in seconds? Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 warns us, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't tell us to not have treasure. Jesus isn't against treasure. He just wants us to invest in the, the right treasure, right? treasure that, that lasts, treasure that is secure. And in verse 20, Jesus goes on to tell us, where we should treasure our treasures. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Right, Jesus says that we can store up as much treasure in heaven as we want. Hoard it, pile it up, because heavenly treasure is an eternal investment. Nothing can eat away at it. It doesn't break down, doesn't wear out or fall apart. Nothing on earth can take it away. It can't be stolen or destroyed. 
So treasure your treasures there. Now, how do we store up this treasure? How do we put our treasure in heaven? Well, I want to give you several ways that you can make deposits into your heavenly account. Now, this list isn't original with me. It comes from a Bible study called Sermon on the Mount, Connect with God uh, by Kevin Harney and the Hybels. Now, the first deposit that we can make into our eternal storehouse is worship. Now, from an earthly point of view, worship may seem completely unproductive, even a waste of time. But from a, a heavenly perspective, there is no higher pursuit. To worship is to do what the angels do. To worship is to fulfill one of our highest purposes in creation. And here's the truth. Right? All people worship. All people worship what they love. Now, they might not call it worship, but that's what it is. Now, one of my favorite worshipers in all of Scripture is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Because every time we see her in Scripture, she's at the feet of Jesus. In John chapter 12, she, she comes to Jesus at his feet, and she pours this very expensive bottle of perfume and washes his feet with this expensive perfume. And then she, you know, uses her own hair as, as a towel. Now, washing feet was a very important act of service in, in the ancient world and an act of hospitality because that was a day when transportation meant walking in sandals on dusty roads wherever you went. Now, some of the disciples, when they saw this, they, they complained. They call it a wasteful extravagance, but Jesus welcomed it and he praised it. He said Mary would be remembered for this. Right? It was an eternal investment. In Luke chapter 10, we again see Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. And she's listening and she's learning while Jesus teaches. Now, meanwhile, her sister Martha's in the kitchen, busy making dinner. And Martha gets ticked off at her sister. She's thinking, hey, she needs to be in here with me helping make dinner. And so she goes in and complains to Jesus, telling him that he ought to tell her, get your keister in there and help your sister. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. All right, so being at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning from him, you're choosing what is better, right? When you go to church and you listen from God's word and you listen to what God has to say, right? You're choosing what is better over anything else that you could be doing on a Sunday morning. I mean, think about this. What you do in church on a Sunday morning may be the most worthwhile thing that you do all week. I'll guarantee you this, there is nothing else that you could do on a Sunday morning that is a more valuable investment, more valuable than mowing your lawn, more valuable than working on the house, more valuable than watching the NFL pregame, more valuable than sleeping in. Right? And I'm not saying that you have to be very legalistic about 
being at church each and every week. I don't think God's going to zap you because you miss a Sunday. But where you spend your time, especially when it comes to worship, shows you where your heart is. It shows where you treasure your treasures. Now, a second deposit we can make into our heavenly accounts is to grow in our Christ-like character. The Bible clearly teaches that, that if we want to lay up treasure in heaven, then one of the best investment strategies is spiritual maturity. We should grow in Christ-like character because your spiritual growth is a deposit in your heavenly account. This is expressed with crystal clarity in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, and he goes on to suggest all these like aspects of Christian maturity. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, and here it is, so that you may inherit a blessing. All right, so these, these Christ-like character qualities, when we show them on earth, we inherit an eternal blessing. Peter's saying that every time that you, you place yourself in someone else's shoes, every time that you, you put yourself second, every time you share the spotlight, every time you consider someone else's point of view, you inherit an eternal blessing. Every time we choose love over hate, kindness over harshness, empathy over insensitivity, truth over lies, forgiveness over revenge, a, a polite spirit over rudeness, silence over slander, wisdom over foolishness, purity over immorality, faith over fear, generosity over stinginess. We delight the heart of God and we're adding to our heavenly portfolio. Now, a third eternal investment is to be generous with the earthly treasures we do have. Proverbs 22.9 says, a generous man will himself be blessed. All right, so when we bless somebody else with our earthly treasures, we receive a spiritual blessing. Expressions of generosity may be a debit in our stores of earthly treasure, but our heavenly credits are multiplied. A Bible study says that every time we show an act of compassion, we build up our treasure in heaven. It might seem like a small act of kindness, but it counts. Others might look on and chuckle at our efforts. They might even say that we can't make a difference. But Jesus calls us to express his love, kindness, and compassion to those in need. When we do, we are storing up treasures in heaven where moth can't, uh, where rust can't corrupt, moths can't eat, and thieves can't steal. Now, there's one other very important deposit that we all need to be making into our heavenly accounts, and that is to lead others to Jesus. What greater treasure can there be than souls that are saved for eternity? And when you get to heaven, what a joy it will be to see all of those with whom you shared the gospel to see all of those seeds that you planted and watered right in eternity, to see those seeds in full bloom. And it might be your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbors, your, your spouse, your other relatives. 
right? The lady who waited on your table at your favorite restaurant, the guy that, that always checked you out when you got your coffee in the morning. Could be your student, your teacher, your coach. It doesn't really cost anything to invest in a soul, but it's a treasure that is priceless. And just imagine hearing them say, I'm here because you told me like Jesus. I'm here because you loved me like Jesus. So invest in the souls of people who will one day welcome you with, with joy and thanksgiving in heaven when you arrive. A forever friendship because you invested a bit of time, a bit of energy, a bit of money into their heart and soul here. That's eternal treasure. I have a picture. I looked all over for it this week, couldn't find it, but it's a picture that was taken my last day in college. It's me and two friends, and we're standing at the end of our dorm. And it was a picture taken at one of the saddest moments of my life. Besides me in the picture is my best friend, Jamie, and then another friend that we'd made that year who had the most biblical name ever, John Mark Romans. And you could tell in the picture, if, especially if you know, we had been crying. And, and there's a long story behind this picture. You see, when John Mark came to Bible college, he didn't come as a Christian. He wasn't studying for the ministry. His dad was a chaplain in the Air Force stationed in Germany. And he really wanted to get back to the United States, but his parents didn't want to foot the bill. But they said, hey, if you go to Bible college, we'll, we'll pay for that. And so there Mark was in, or John Mark was enrolled in Bible college. And he shows up and he was a complete loner. I, I remember I would see him around campus and, and he always had headphones on. He was always listening to his Walkman and he never engaged with another human being. Never saw him talk to anybody. And so after a couple of weeks of this, I saw him sitting by himself in the cafeteria and I, I plopped my tray down in front of him and I said, hey, what you listening to? Huh, what? Well, what are you listening to? And I think when he told me the answer, he was trying to scare me away. But it turns out I really like weird music, too. And so I went on to have this discussion with him about his favorite band and his favorite music. And so instantly we have this connection. I soon introduced him to my best friend, Jamie. And from then on, we're all fast friends. And over the next three months, we were always together and we shared our faith with him in a a natural relational way. And it culminated in a late, tear-filled, cold November night where John Mark finally broke down and he says, I want what you guys have. I, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. And so we sneak out of the dorm at like one in the morning and we baptized John Mark in the creek behind the campus, you know, and it was freezing cold water. And I'd love to say, and they all lived happily ever after, but that's not how the story goes. Not everybody's journey to Christ is a straight and easy path. In fact, John Mark's journey, like many of ours, is a, is a crooked, winding path. And long story short, 
and it took the rest of the school year to figure this out. But but John Mark was a kleptomaniac. He um, stole stuff. And, you know, there was a bunch of us in the dorms over the course of the next several months. We kept having stuff go missing. Um, the first thing that we figured out was I, I found that John Mark had stolen my term papers. Uh at Ozark at that time, all of your tests and papers were returned to you in these alphabetized boxes um, by last name. And since his last name was Romans and mine was Raymond, our papers were there in the same box. And so I go to, to get one of my papers back, and, and I also see his papers. And John Mark up to that point was getting like Ds. And all of a sudden, there was a paper, and he got an A. And I was like, holy cow you know, we've really had an influence on him. He's doing good. And I take a look at his paper and I realize, wait, I recognize this. And it was one of my papers from a couple of years earlier and he had just copied it. And it turns out he had taken all of my term papers. And so when all this other stuff turns up missing, we immediately suspected John Mark and we asked him about it. And no, no, wasn't me, wasn't me. And, and, I'll admit that that Jamie and I even went into his room a couple of times when he wasn't there and we looked everywhere. We scoured the place from top to bottom and and if he was taking the stuff we couldn't figure out where it was. And so the semester goes on and long story short, you know, he's moving out. And his grandfather showed up in a pickup truck and we're loading the pickup truck and when we found a box of library books that he had taken from the school library. Excellent authors. Jamie and I had had an influence on him that way. C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer and, and other authors. And it was hundreds of dollars worth of books. And so finally, John Mark admits that he'd stole this stuff. We, we took the books back to the library and uh, we got a lot of the other stuff. He had been, he had one of those big giant stereo systems, a rack mount system with, with two tower speakers. And he had unscrewed the backs of the speakers and he was storing everything inside the speakers. And it was like watches and shoes and belts and clothes and all kinds of stuff. Well, we also found out that there was another dorm that he cleaned for maintenance. And a lot of the guys there who shared a similar taste in music had reported some of their compact discs were missing. And so, I mean, John Mark's about to leave. And I asked him, I said, John Mark, did you take those discs? And he admitted that he did. And he goes into the back of his grandfather's truck. He opens a box and he hands me a stack of these CD cases. And, and in that picture, I'm holding this stack of CD cases. And of course, Jamie and I, we hug him. We tell him that we love him and that we will always be his friends. And that picture was taken. And for nearly 30 years, that was the last that I had seen of John Mark, the last that I heard from him. Um, Mark or John Mark would later tell me, I left Ozark under a dark cloud, as you know. It's a time of my life that I can still struggle to think about if I'm totally transparent about it. And things didn't get better for a while. I ran hard in the other direction. But back in 2017, I get a Facebook message from John Mark, and he says 
that it would take about six more years and a stint in the Marines before God would get a complete hold on his heart. But after that, he, he goes and he finishes his degree. He serves as a missionary in Turkey, as a campus ministry pastor, and he was now serving as a missions pastor at Savannah Christian Church in Georgia. And he had preached a sermon on sharing your faith, and he told the story about how Jamie and I shared our faith with him, and he told the story about that night in the dorms, and, and he wanted me to hear this story, and he wanted me to know the difference I had made. Now, I had gone for decades thinking that John Mark was a wasted effort, that I had done no good whatsoever. But his story continued. God kept working in his life. And that seed that Jamie and I had planted, it had grown. It had borne fruit. And many other seeds have been planted around the world. And as John Mark told me this stuff, and as I'm listening to his sermon and I'm hearing him tell this story, I'm crying once again over John Mark, tears streaming down my cheeks, my nose is running, and, and I'm crying once again, but this time they're tears of joy. And, I, and I'm realizing that, you know, I may not see John Mark again in this life, but one day I will be reunited with him in heaven and know that the seed I planted mattered. And behind John Mark will be countless of others, other seeds that were planted because I shared my faith with John Mark. I helped lead him to Jesus. And I want you to know that every seed you plant is worth it. God can use any time you share your faith, any time that you plant a seed, even if you never see what comes of it, right? Your life is an investment. So what are you investing in? Right? Are you just wasting your life? Are you spending it all on the here and the now? Are you investing in things that will matter ultimately? Are you investing in things that will last eternally? Where do you treasure your treasures? See, when you give your life to Jesus, he changes your heart. And that heart change completely transforms your view of what matters most to you. What is truly valuable to you changes. The things that capture your attention and your imagination all right, the old things loosen their grip and your heart begins to beat with a passion for a new treasure. You begin to seek treasures that you can take with you. What the Apostle Peter calls an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Thank you. And God bless.